This episode of Continuing Mission is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome everyone to another episode of Continuing Mission, our look at the ways in which fans are keeping Star Trek alive. I'm your host, Christopher Jones. The primary focus of this show is fan series and films, and one of the biggest is Star Trek Continues. The first three episodes have recaptured the look, the feel, and the spirit of the original series with incredible authenticity. But in the process of recreating the 1960s television icon, Star Trek Continues hasn't shied away from addressing some of the gaps in TOS. For many, one of the most noticeable missing links in the original series is the gender balance amongst the Enterprise crew. Star Trek Continues has addressed this by bringing aboard a new character, Dr. Elise McKenna, played by Michelle Specht, who joins Uhura as a female voice on the show. Additionally, Dr. McKenna brings a TNG element to the 23rd century in the form of Ship's Counselor. While this may ruffle the feathers of some purists, I think the results more than speak for themselves. In this episode of Continuing Mission, I'm joined by Michelle to talk about McKenna, how she approaches the role of a character that, unlike those played by her castmates, is unknown to fans, and we get a few behind-the-scenes tidbits as well. We also discuss her training in music and theater, her voice work for anime, and her comedy background. Hello, Michelle. Thank you for joining me tonight on Continuing Mission. I've been trying to get a hold of you through all the other appearances that your castmates have made here on the network, and you keep dodging me for some reason, but now you're here. (laughs) I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Great, great. Well, I am looking forward to learning about Dr. McKenna and Star Trek continues. But before that, I want to find out more about your acting background. You've done a lot of TV and film and games over the past decade, and a lot of Japanese anime as well, which I want to know about. Tell me what led you to voice work and acting in the first place, and give us a little tidbit about your career that maybe no one knows. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of pressure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think I got into acting... um, when I was very, very young for the usual reason, I think many young people get into acting because you like attention. (laughs) That was kind of when I was very, very little, I would get up on, I would put together shows with the other neighborhood kids and invite the parents out to sit on the curb and we would do these little shows in the middle of the street. So that's, you know, just like, I think a lot of us, we like to be on stage. So that's kind of where it started. And, um, yeah, I went to, uh, college for both uh, theater and classical vocal music performance. And theater was kind of an, actually an afterthought. I was went mm. primarily for music for mm-hmm. classical vocal music performance and um, got involved in a uh, few 
shows um, at my college and really kind of just shifted throughout that learning process and really realized that um, I enjoyed uh, stage much more. What's your favorite show that you did in college? Because I also went to school for music and I used to perform, I play bass trombones. I used to perform in the orchestra, but we did a lot of shows as well. And I have certain ones that I really remember well as being my favorites. What was that for you? Uh, In vocally or theatrically? Well, let's do both. So theatrically first, what's most memorable for you? We did, I think there were two, Clarenbard Mm -hmm. and the Three Penny Opera. Those were my absolute favorites. And I think that's where, because we did a really interesting kind of version of um, the Three Penny Opera, where we almost did it very comedy de l'art. So it was very theatrical as well as being very uh, musical. And that was really enjoyable. And I think vocally, oh gosh, the Fleetermouse was a hoot. I really, really, really enjoyed doing that show. Even though for me, vocally as a lyric soprano, it's not necessarily something I have a too much. I, we don't shine too much in that show, but uh, mm-hmm. it's just a beautiful show. Yeah. Very there nice. you go. All right. Very nice. Well, tell me about, because I'm in Japan, I live in Tokyo, and I know you've done so much voice work for Japanese anime, which mm-hmm. I found really interesting. How'd you get involved in that? And, and what is that like? Uh, I was very uh, lucky in a way. Um, I was a huge anime fan and had been since college, but I was kind of uh, kind of alone in it. I didn't know a lot of other people that I knew, at least in my circles, who enjoyed it. So when it became more mainstream on um, Cartoon Network, on Adult Swim, you started seeing okay. shows regularly uh-huh. late at night. I got really just this extra kind of urge as an actor here in Los Angeles to want to do voiceover. And I've always wanted to be um, in animated shows. And I was a vocalist, which kind of helps in those sort of things. So um, when I found out that there were actually anime conventions uh, here, and I I had no idea, I was so, I don't know where I was, I was living in in a little hole somewhere, that I didn't know that there were anime conventions. And I saw it on the side of a bus, I remember, Anime Expo. And the first time I went was in 2005. And I was like, oh my gosh. And when I started looking at the schedule, they had voiceover actors. They had panels with voiceover actors and with voiceover production companies who were redubbing some of my favorite shows for uh, um, uh, English-speaking audiences. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. (laughs) So I went to a couple of the panels and just basically used it as a way to kind of introduce myself and say, hey, I'm an actor. Love to get into voice acting. This is my background, a lot of theater, a lot of vocal training. I would really love to give it a shot. And I came in and started reading for a couple people and I started booking some jobs. So it was really, um, I, I consider myself very lucky. I certainly don't do a lot of it. It's not my primary thing because I'll be very honest. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners know this. Um, recording anime, re-recording Japanese anime into English is incredibly difficult. It is far more difficult than doing anything in Western animation or in video games or even it is so incredibly difficult because you're are you're matching an, a pre-existing uh, right. piece of art mm-hmm. um, and a pre-existing piece of art that was in another language. So uh, the mouth flaps, the timing, trying to do a translation that makes sense, coinciding all of those technical aspects as well as giving a believable and wonderful acting performance at the same time is incredibly difficult. So I think um, once I started doing it and realized that I, I do enjoy it, but uh, honestly, it causes a lot of anxiety because. <laughs> so difficult getting into that booth and doing that. And there are people that excel at it and they are so good. And um, they are, I, I think they are underappreciated for how difficult that art form is because it is far more difficult than doing anything um, 
freely like we do in Western animation and video games. Right, because you can't record the line and then have the animators make adjustments. You've got Correct. to go with what was there. And like you said, it's already a different language to start with. And it needs to Correct. look kind of accurate, right? Right, right. So the translation can sometimes be an issue if you need to. Sometimes the translation doesn't match the already existing um, mouth flops. So it has to be rewritten on the fly. Um, A lot of times the uh, beats are very different than what uh, even even facially than what you would want to say, giving a believable performance. So that has to be adjusted. It's a, a very, very difficult process, although it's uh, really fun to do. It's also, at least for me, really stressful. <laughs> well, if we go back to those conventions for just one second here before we mm-hmm. get into Star Trek, I assume you started cosplaying at anime conventions? I did. <laughs> <laughs> very, very mildly. I, I actually far more enjoyed cosplayer because they are so, they are so skilled. A lot of the kids that put together, um, I mean, spend months and months creating these amazing costumes. Um, part of the joy, one of the main things I loved about going to conventions was just taking pictures. If I did, it was very mildly with like ears or tail or something okay. like that. Yeah. Have you been to Tokyo before? Yes, I have. Okay, so you've Dick been to Akihabara. Yeah. Have you seen the cosplayers around yes. just around town? Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I was taking pictures like a fiend. <laughs> I bet. All right, well, let's talk about Star Trek a little bit. In Star Trek Continues, you play the role of Dr. Elise McKenna. And in New Voyages, the episode Katamba, you also had a role as Callie. And uh, that episode was actually directed by Vic. Were you Mm -hmm. a Star Trek fan growing up? Or have you gotten up to speed on Star Trek after taking on these roles? I am both a huge anime fan and sci-fi fan. And as I've, uh, since college, college and my years right afterward, I was a huge anime fan. And now... I think in my young adulthood and up until now, I've become a huge, even bigger sci-fi fan. I've always been, but I, I grew up on watching um, uh, Next Generation. That okay. was my favorite. Yeah. I was a obsessed with that show. I love that show. Um, I grew up on that throughout uh, junior high and high school. So that's kind of my first love in the Star Trek universe. Uh, and then I got introduced to the original movies. And then I started watching the original series. And then there's, you know, of course, DS9. I mean, all the good stuff that came afterward. So yes, I'm a huge, huge Star Trek fan. Uh, but the, the original series has its own uh, universe. It has its own particular um, lore and fandom that are that mm-hmm. is different. Yeah. It is different. So it's so unique to be a part of something that is so um, dedicated to bringing back such a particular and specific part of that Star Trek universe. Yeah, definitely. And you guys are doing it so well. I always comment on the details all the way down to the film grain, the feeling of the image. Right. Even though it's being shot with modern HD equipment, it still feels like it was shot in 1967. Oh, so many steps were taken to do exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, everything, everything down to the, the the fabric and the buttons and every little piece that you were seeing on screen, even if it's just for an instant, even if it's something you would never even notice. If you were to go to our sets and walk them, they will be spot on exactly like the Desilu soundstage uh, when it actually existed. Uh, it was literally laid out to be exactly that. Now, is the food service identical to the 1960s? Do you get the same (laughs) types of foods that would have been served then? Have you seen kind of questionable expiration dates on anything? Uh, uh, (laughs) No, they actually feed us very, very well. Great. (laughs) 
Well, if you're going no for authenticity, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, no, it's all uh, our food. Luckily, is 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 21st century, so we're good. Excellent, excellent. You said that the next generation was your first series, and you love that mm-hmm. series. And on TNG, we were introduced to Deanna Troy, the ship's counselor. And exactly. of course, it makes sense that a crew, and especially a ship in that case with families that is on an extended deep space mission would need the services of a counselor. And in fact, I would think more than one counselor for that many people. But the original series had no such role. Your character, however, brings this position to Kirk's era. So how do you approach this, especially now that I know that TNG was your series and you're very familiar with Counselor Troy? How do you approach this? And also, how is it different for you playing a new character on TOS compared to everyone else who is playing a familiar and iconic role? Right. Well, in some ways it's easier and in some ways it's more terrifying because, Mm -hmm. you know, Star Trek fans, especially original series Star Trek fans, are absolutely, I mean, it's it's foundational to who they are in a way. Um, Growing up with such an influential show uh, and the first of its kind uh, ingrained such uh, love and attachment to everything that involves, that is involved in it. So approaching this as coming in as a new character was quite frankly, terrifying. Uh, and when I think about it sometimes now, it's even, I, I, I can get, <laughs> can get a little <laughs> bit of an anxiety attack because I just, I hope and pray that anyone who watches the show can see the level of love and respect that everyone involved has for maintaining that foothold in what made the original series great and really keeping it true to TOS. So these really are Kirk, Spock, McCoy stories. Those, I mean, it is the holy trifecta. That's what, that's what's at the root of everything that we want to do. Um, we have, even in our little vignettes, um, you can see little, um, beginnings of bringing in newer era, like bringing us into the fourth and fifth season and yeah, what would bring yeah. us like we see the beginnings of the holodeck. That was um, a technology. Cool little, little tidbit there. Right. And, and right. Doug Drexler told me how it came about, but I thought it, I thought it was really clever. I know a lot of fans are probably like a holodeck. What? I think what? a lot of fans don't realize the holodeck actually got to start in the animated series. Exactly. So it does, it was around in that time period. Right. It, it does have its place it. in Canon. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, um, so first and foremost, I just wanted people to know, and I certainly hope they do know that I want her to be nothing more than um, an asset. I don't want her to be a Band-Aid stuck on the side that doesn't make any sense. And right. we approach every single episode knowing that she is, uh, we want to have her be simply a part of that extra wonderful added bonus of Uhura and Sulu and Chekhov, these characters that we know and love and are already within that well-established universe. And hopefully adding her in just adds a voice that might not have been in the original series, but is still welcome and very well-fitting. So that's just, we approach it with such care. And I really, really, really hope that fans of the original series can see that care and love and respect that we're, we're doing this with. So who first proposed the idea to you that you would play a new character that is supposed to be on the Enterprise during the five-year mission, but we never saw before? 
Um, well, we were kind of all, it was Vic and a lot of the, um, and Steve Dangler and a lot of the guys, it was mostly Vic. He was brainstorming for quite a while on how to, you know, Star Trek, the original series is absolutely a cultural icon. It is a product of its time, of its era and its culture. So we're trying to revive something that is a product of that particular time, era and culture. Right. We're trying to do that while ourselves being a product of our present time, era, and culture. So there's this weird, we can't help but be influenced by who we are now in the time and era and culture we live in now while trying to bring back to life an already very well-established loved um, era and cultured time. So uh, if we're doing that and also trying to bring it forward a little bit, bringing in elements like, um, I, I do know that, um, oh, Sally Kellerman, wasn't that her name? In the very first original pilot episode of uh, Roddenberry's uh, show, there was um, a character played by, was it Sally Kellerman? Am I totally... You're thinking of Daner in Where No Man Has Gone Before. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, that was Sally Kellerman, yeah. It was Sally, yes, yes. So, um, and I know, we know that when Roddenberry had a chance to expand on it in Next Generation, this was something that he really wanted. He was able to really take the time to expand on a, a Deanna Troy and a Dr. Crusher, having more females in roles of importance, uh, as well as ha adding that aspect culturally and psychologically to what was going on within his crew. So when we come at this, we're, we're rooted absolutely and really uh, reviving that TOS, but we can't help but be adding in what has happened within the Star Trek universe since right, then, right. as long as it is complementary to the TOS time, bringing in uh, a character like her, I think is fitting given what Roddenberry did later on and what he, he did in, um, you know, in Next Generation. I don't think it's so much of a leap either because we only saw certain characters on the original series most of the time, but when they needed someone else, there were all these other people on the ship. I mean, they've got like dedicated right. archaeologists and, and right. weathermen, apparently, <laughs> and right. all kinds of people. So, so it's certainly not a stretch that Dr. McKenna would have been there. Well, in my mind, Sally Kellerman kind of planted the seed. And that tree grew to fruition with Deanna Troy and Dr. Crusher. And I feel like uh, McKenna is kind of the bridge between those two. At some point in time, there had to be that bridge that led us to that yeah. between those two um, of this, that, that idea. Do you ever try to picture Sally Kellerman in the role of ship's counselor, but with Deanna Troy's season one hair? <laughs> <laughs> oh, in my dreams. But blind, dreams. of course. <laughs> well, of course. Come on. Um, that is a fabulous image. I think I'm going to go with that one. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. This is why Adobe makes Photoshop, you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to get one of those, uh, one of our amazing supporters who are artists. I'm going to get them on that. Have you received any fan criticism about McKenna being on the show? Um, yeah, a little, a little bit. For the most part, I would say 99% of the time. Um, people are really supportive. And in fact, I've gotten a number of, um, and this is kind of what's most meaningful to me, a number of emails of men who grew up as young men watching the original series who are now grown and have families of their own and have daughters saying, you know, I had so many characters that I, I personally identified with growing up watching this beloved show that shaped who I was as a person. And for you to be bringing this back to life and giving me another wonderful, along with Uhura, another wonderful role model for my daughters 
to look at and look up to in this beloved universe that I grew up in is amazing. That for me, those kind of emails have been the most impactful and make me so happy because again, more than anything, we want her to be an addition, you know, a, a, a welcome addition, somebody that can add something and not detract. Yeah, I I think it's great because I think the show does need more of a female presence, especially to bring it in line with the audience today. Well, and exactly, and what Roddenberry's original vision was. I mean, and that's what we did even in uh, the second episode, our second episode, Lilani, with having Aaron Gray play a Commodore. You know, there, there, that would be absolutely that. That was part of what I believe um, was envisioned. Well, let's not forget that in the original pilot. Maybell right. was actually was the, the number first. One. Yeah, the first. So, yeah, exactly. But the studio is like, well, you know, you can't have a woman as the first officer of the ship. Right. So right. it it wasn't that Gene Roddenberry wanted to have all men on the ship. Right. Plus Uhura. Right. So, well, you mentioned Lolani. Which is your favorite? And I know this is like trying to choose amongst your favorite children. No. <laughs> but of the three episodes, I feel like Lolani is the episode where your role is the most pivotal. And your interaction with Lolani of the three episodes, which was the most uh, rewarding, I guess I would say, for you as an actress to to play your part. Well, that's in. that's fairly easy so far because we've only had three, and uh, my role in the third one, because you know, I, where the heck was McKenna in this Marion? We never saw her before, so I the fact that she was even there, more. I was really ex- I, oh, really? Yeah, because See, I was just excited she was there. I'm like, yeah, she's there doing so- well. That might be her, the mirror version of counseling. I'm Perhaps pretty that's sure what she's doing to give therapy <laughs> right. at that time. You know, in the mirror universe, there you go. Well, I'm pretty sure that Chris and James told me before when when you guys were working on it that. Michelle's outfit in the third episode is everyone's favorite. And when you see it, you'll know why. And so I'm watching the episode. I'm expecting to see more of you. I don't mean that like more of you. I mean more your character appearing more in the episode. Yes, yes. And and then there's that that scene. And and so I was expecting that you would have a bigger role in the episode. Well, you know, again, um, McKenna is it's it's the trifecta. You know, this show really is all about Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. So I, I'm grateful that she has been as well-received as she has been. That makes me, I can't even tell you how happy that makes me because more than anything, we want the folks who, who know and love the show to accept her in that uh, regard. And it has been overwhelmingly so. Um, and yeah, I did get a lot of like, it was also very nice, honestly, to get a lot of response like, we wanted more of you. Where was McKenna? Where's Where McKenna? was McKenna? Yeah. So that was really nice to hear. So when when she does come back, it will be, you know, something as meaningful and impactful. But I, you know, again, if it doesn't serve the story, then there's no, we don't need to have every single character in there plopping in and just just to give them something to say or do it really needs right. and that is first and foremost with star trek continues it is story 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 all about the story what how can we recreate uh something with meaning with action with a moral uh issue an ethical dilemma uh something that's going to be challenging both socially uh and for me psychologically in line with what that original show did for everyone and if it doesn't serve that purpose then we don't need to bring everybody back and just give them something to say or do it's not it's not appropriate for what we're trying to do and it wasn't appropriate in the original show so uh we're kind of following suit with that um but oh getting back to your question i would have to say my my favorite absolutely is the lolani episode so far uh, although to watch it uh, for for me to be in it it was lolani to watch i think it had to be the mirror mirror 
because it was so amazing. Okay. But uh, yeah, just because visually and action wise and being able to shoot on the original Galileo at Houston Space Center. <laughs> yeah. Holy, I mean, come on. That was amazing. Uh, and the mirror costumes. And I mean, can you believe the actress we got to be Marlena? Can you believe oh, I know. how much she is like the yeah. spinning yeah. image of Barbara Luna? Yeah. Holy. I mean, Wow. Wow. So that, I think that episode is probably the most impressive as far as being able to recreate and, and bring to life something that I think many original series Star Trek fans have always wondered about. What the heck happened? Oh, yeah. What happened when they came back? Yeah. What yeah. happened? Uh, yeah. So I think that was, uh, that's, that was my favorite to watch. But um, for me as a character for Dr. McKenna, uh, it would have to be Lovani. To me, that is the greatest representation of us bringing um, an original idea that yeah. It so serves the what the intentional purpose of TOS was to do with its stories and bringing it into a very modern and important, updated setting. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Lolani captured the the spirit of TOS and the, the, the spirit of Star Trek to really explore a real issue, did it in a way that felt completely like it was an original series episode, except brought a little bit more of... TNG DS9 type sensibility to it and, and going a little bit deeper and making the issue a little bit more complex because TOS was often very black and white. Right, right, right. Um, and you know, which is so interesting to me because I guess the stories on TOS change for me as I get older. So perhaps originally they seemed very black and white and they can on, on certain levels, mm-hmm. but so many of those stories, when you di- when you think deeper on them, and you go into them, um, there's so many different levels there. So I think I was really excited that we were able to accomplish that with Lolani to bring such um, a well-fitting TOS story, but doing it with such a, um, just a really relevant storyline for today. Definitely. Well, let's go behind the scenes for a minute because (laughs) people love to know what happens on the set. We all know some crazy stuff goes on around the set of Star (laughs) Trek Continues. We've seen some of it in the blooper reel. Oh, yeah. I imagine like that dance scene. I know you present it like we finished shooting. Let's have a party. I think that probably happens once a day on the set, right? Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we choreograph. You would not believe Spock's interpretive dance. It is incredible. He has got skills like you would not believe. Oh, I think that is the most uh, that is one of the most amazing aspects about this production and everyone that is involved there are so many people that are production professionals who just happen to be incredible Star Trek fans who've gotten together for this. And then we have this band of such dedicated, amazing volunteers as well, all coming together, giving up their vacation days, coming down to the set in Georgia to create the show. It is, it has become like a family. It is, um, it is probably one of the most, um, not just professionally exciting things that I have been able to do recently, but personally, these people and these relationships, we really are, we are not joking. When you see all the joking that goes on uh, in the bloopers, that is nonstop. We have, we do not stop laughing and enjoying ourselves. Even, you know, we'll, we'll absolutely get serious when it's time to shoot. And we are extremely professional about getting things done. We, we shoot incredibly efficiently, but um, the mood is always up. The mood is always light and it is always joyful and yeah. there's always a heck of a lot of humor that goes on every day. How hard is it for you as a comedian <laughs> to restrain yourself from, <laughs> from making jokes and cracking everyone up constantly? 
well, we, we lose a lot of takes. Let's just <laughs> say we lose a lot of, and it's not just me. We lose, we got a lot of funny people on set, but we lose a lot, a lot of takes. You know, there was, it was actually really fun for me. Um, in Lilani, <laughs> a lot of the little kind of funny, there are a couple of really funny moments that mm-hmm. were improv that actually made it into the episode, oh, cool. which made me so happy because um, Those that's are the absolutely best, me. Yeah, yeah, my default is go for the pratfall. Like my default is absolutely broad comedy. So um, it is hard. It is, it is a very specific job to rein it in. But um, even in Lilani, the fun like little moment at dinner with... Um, Zamenhan with Lou Ferrigno as uh-huh. a big slave trader. Yeah. Um, I had a little fun moment with him that wasn't planned. And they were like, okay, we got to keep that in. We weren't even <laughs> intending these. And then the little banter between Kirk and I at the whole thing when she, when Lolani confronts us or says, you know, do you always uh, challenge each other in this manner? And we kind of have this little, oh, boo, 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 oh, yes to the no. That whole little right. moment was completely improv and they kept it. So okay. there are little moments of me getting in there. It's cool. kind of hard not to, <laughs> but um, when it really is a kind of more all business when they're on there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's a conscious, conscious choice not to just go not there. To do that that yeah, is my yeah. default. Absolutely. Well, well, tell us, are there any behind the scenes things that happened, funny moments <laughs> involving McKenna that we may never otherwise know unless you tell us right now? Um, <laughs> um, there was a lot of behind the scene footage taken of... I I break out and dance a lot. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it, Chris. I'm not a good dancer. Um, I don't claim to be, but I do break out and dance a lot. So there were a lot of filmed moments. I'm sure there's somewhere. There's somewhere out there um, of very serious moments of takes and then cut. And then there would be like a, a really a, a just some crazy dance moves that go down. So there was a lot of dancing in the um, in the transporter when those doors are oh, closed, really? you have no idea what's going down in that transporter. <laughs> Crazy stuff. And it's usually somewhat, you know, uh, silly and inappropriate at times. Uh, but it's very, very fun. So, yes, I would say, um, I would say, yeah, that's probably my favorite are the, tra- are the transporter uh, moments when those doors are closed. There's some crazy <laughs> stuff that happens there. <laughs> that's great. Well, let's talk a little bit. We talked up front a bit about your theatrical training, your musical training. And then that led you into ass, by which, of yeah. course, I mean <laughs> the comedy group and other showcase showdown. So right. what is it about your transition from theater and vocal training, classical training, by the way, right. that turned you into an ass? I didn't turn me into an ass. Uh, I was always an ass, Chris. I was always an ass. They just put a name on it. Uh, eventually what happened. Well, um, performance was always what I enjoyed the most. And um, because I had uh, some vocal talent um, and I was always in choir, was always singing, um, was in choir all throughout high school and got scholarships for um, vocal performance. That's kind of where I thought I was headed. But by going to college, I realized what a what a, what a challenged musician I am. Oh, because, really? you know, okay. being, a perf- being a vocalist and a performer is completely different, as you know, yeah. than being a good musician. Right. My uh, music reading skills are okay. Uh, music theory... Uh-uh. music theory no can good. be tough yes <laughs> oh horrible i'm horrible at it conducting all of the stuff that is required to be a really good musician yeah i really struggled with because and then i realized well it's because i just it's the performance aspect that i liked so when i got into theater and got into things like comedy dell'art and got into these very um 
uh, broad musicals and comedies as well as straight uh, theater. Um, that just it seemed a very natural transition to go into that. Um, when I graduated from college, I had I'd studied abroad in London. I'd had a wonderful theater internship uh, at my school with um, Théâtre de la Jeune Lune. I don't even say it correctly, but I tried to. Um, they're an amazing theater company out of Minneapolis that spends half the year in Minneapolis and the other half in Paris usually. And uh, I had a really uh, wonderful theater internship um, there my junior year of college. And then I studied abroad in London for theater for a semester. And then I, I moved to London actually right after I graduated graduated college and lived there for about three years. And I, at the time, I thought it was because, oh, I'm going to audition. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to learn so much. No, I traveled. I farted around. That's what I did. I, I bartended at the Royal Albert Hall. It was I saw that. Yeah. The, yeah, the most amazing job I've ever had in my life. It was, I, I, it was an amazing learning experience. I had a blast. We would take off. I was the only American who worked there. We would take off and travel Europe um, around shows. would be like four weeks on and then two weeks off. Um, and just had a ball. But then when I moved back to the States and moved right out to LA, I um, immediately joined a theater group. Somebody met me at my, I was waiting tables and somebody met me and said, you've got it. You've got to come out and check our theater group out. So I um, joined Zeitgeist Theater Group. And from there, I met people from USC who were doing this incredible stuff at the Actors Gang. And they were starting their own um, their own uh, kind of a, a sketch comedy group doing original sketch shows, original characters, um, little film bits and musical numbers. And they would put on these live shows and it kind of grew out from there and, and um, really found a home doing sketch comedy. It's um, I love it. I love the broader, the comedy, the better as far as I'm concerned. So um, that's cool. I, yeah. yeah, we did that for about eight years. They turned it into a TV show actually. So it was really neat. Yeah. I, I love sketch comedy. I would be terrible at it, but um, <laughs> I had the guys from titled sketch project on a show a couple of years ago. They did the, the Patrick Stewart imitation of a Christmas Carol and they've done oh, other Star Trek fabulous. sketches. Okay. Space then Idiots. yes, I have seen yeah. them. Yes, They're really yes. funny. They did like a whole sketch on, on the show it's one of my other shows about a chair. I think it was funny. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So it was really neat. And that's, um, it was theater and that led me into comedy and comedy that led me into, um, our, our show got turned into a sitcom. We started our own production company, drama three, four productions. Mm -hmm. And we were, um, doing live shows for about eight years and comedy festivals. And, uh, Somebody uh, in development over at uh, the VH1 network who wanted to do original programming said, hey, uh, we really want to start original programming. We only do reality TV. Uh, we want you guys to do it. So um, why don't you write, direct, and star in our first original sitcom? And we'll give you a soundstage and build all your sets and try it out. And we were like, uh, okay. <laughs> so we did I Hate My 30s. I was a, a regular on that show every week and it was really neat. We uh, it, There was a lot of stuff going on professionally at that time with Viacom. It was at the time of the strike and Viacom got sold. And then okay, yeah. Our, yeah and, and we weren't able to do another season, but it was absolutely a blast to do that for a year with really amazing, talented people. Very cool. So that was... I hate my thirties. I hate my thirties. Yes, the original title of the that. show. Exactly. Yes, yeah. yes. It was supposed to be the after work special because it was supposed to be basically a spoof on the after school specials that we oh, grew yeah, up yeah. on, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. but set in a really boring nineteen thirties office job. But uh, we switched it to I hate my thirties, so it has original musical numbers in it, just like our show does, and really broad comedy, and it's so fun. That's so yeah, cool. I hate my thirties. It's a it's a hoot. Well, let's wrap up here with what you have coming up next. So besides Star Trek Continues, besides yeah. playing Dr. McKenna, we're all looking forward to seeing you in that role again. But what else are you working on that people should be on the lookout for? 
I'm at the most fun things that I'm doing. I mean, I've got some reoccurring roles in video games that are really neat, and, and that's always fun to go back and do that. But um, the uh, um, the most fun thing, besides doing any kind of TV commercials or whatever, which are nice and they pay the bills, uh, the most fun are, are the web series that I'm doing right now. Um, I got into the whole sci-fi thing with the kids who did the Fallout uh, Nuka Break series. Uh-huh. We did the original fan film, and then we did a couple series seasons of series after that. And then they also did um, another web series based on the portal video game universe called mm-hmm. Aperture R&D. And I got to play the personality core, the voiceover for the personality core. And she's fabulous. Now, Her name is Betty. Jeffrey Combs is in that, right? He plays the portal, right? But no one recognizes him. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that fabulous? I love that. So I love roles. that. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, and But what I recently, I just got to work on a really fun show called Tugger the Ship. And we, I'm going in actually on Thursday to do some ADR for it. Okay. This is um, keep a lookout for it. It's very. I have to. I have to put a disclaimer. It's very uh, irreverent and very body. So um, yeah, very, very much so. So, but if you like the similar humor to um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, okay, yeah, really has a feeling of that. The style of comedy that comes. It's quick and fast and very dry. So Tugger the ship. Tugger the ship. What That's is the ship's what's the name, premise Tugger. of Tugger the ship? I, Okay. Can you tell us? Tugger, okay. Uh, Dr. Math Math, okay. um, who is the uh, scientific mastermind, created Tugger the ship when she was eight years old because she's brilliant, brilliant scientist. So the ship looks like what an eight-year-old would create. It's okay. pink, has lots of butterflies all over it. <laughs> um, it, it involves around the crew of, of, of her re-stealing that ship back as an adult. And just it's... Um, it's so difficult to try and, <laughs> okay, to try and all right. explain. It's very broad and very crazy. But if you like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and you like a little bodiness, then you'll like Tugger the Ship. Okay, that sounds cool. Yeah, it is. It is fun. And then I'm, I'm also doing another web show called um, Pink Girl and the Scone, where I play a superhero, a minor league superhero, and she's fabulous, <laughs> which is really fun. So think of like minor league superheroes okay. trying to make it big. Yeah, I always like minor league superheroes, like the yeah. greatest American hero. Which I yeah, yeah. I mean, what happens when you you find a uniform left behind by aliens? I mean, I do, you know, there hero. you go. They, of course, why not? All right, very cool. Well, if people want to find you, if they want to talk to Dr. McKenna, or they want to keep up with what's happening with Tugger the Ship and everything else that you're doing, where should they go to find you? They should go uh, to www.michellespeck.com. That's my website. So it's got a lot of info on me and my reels and pictures and all sorts of fun stuff. But I also have a Facebook page, Michelle Specht Actress Facebook page. And there's a lot of great stuff on um, the Star Trek Continues website uh, and their Facebook page as well. The official Star Trek Continues Facebook page. There's really fun stuff going on there. Oh, and there's one thing I want to add. Um, back in stuff to look out for. There's an amazing company called Space Opera Society. Mm-hmm. And they are putting together um, new original sci-fi programming. Oh, cool. And there, yeah, there are a lot of, I mean, I'm, I'm online for a, um, a couple of the shows that they're doing, one which is entitled Starlight. Amazing. The masterminds that are behind SOS are the people who brought you Aliens, Deep Space Nine, Next Generation, Stargate. I mean, um, Battlestar Galactica, these are the creative minds, producers, writers, special effects people who are coming together to make this independently funded production company. And they're going to be putting out original sci-fi programming, and it's very, very exciting. So 
look out for Space Hopper Society. And these are going to be shorts, like film shorts? Or are they going to be audio no, dramas? They will be series. Oh, series. Series okay. show. Excellent. Yes. That um, uh, we're trying to figure out formats right now, whether it would be through Netflix or something else, or mm-hmm. um, but it might just be uh, web-wide. If mm-hmm. they get enough um, independent funding, we'll produce literally film-quality stuff series and episodes that will be viewable to anyone around the world in any time. So it's pretty exciting. Oh, that's what great. They're doing. That's wonderful. Yeah. Very, very cool. Great. Well, Michelle, thanks so much for your time tonight. It was a blast talking to you about McKenna and music and comedy. And it was uh, great to, to finally get you on the show and you can't dodge me anymore. No, and I wasn't <laughs> doing it on purpose. I promise. Thank you so much for having me. It's a hoot talking to you out there in Tokyo. And thank you just for taking the time. I truly appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed learning more about Dr. McKenna and Michelle today, but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. It was the biggest opening ever for a movie. And, uh, you know, it it got huge critical acclaim and success. And fans were, you know, most, not every, but most fans were really happy with it. Earl Grey kids these days gosh back in my day our nacelles were round and we went war five (laughs) and our dishes were large our dishes were large and we liked it that way the ready room yeah one of the things i noticed about that in terms of the population is everybody on a mini r seems to have a number in their name which may indicate that they have a lot of children perhaps to kind of compensate for the fact that they're killing three million people a year the orb Mourn chest yes, bumping a, a dancing bowling is one of the best awesome. scenes in Deep Space Nine. So awesome. <laughs> to the journey! When you brought it up, I was like, that's right, because it's that weird moment when you're like, is that is that Dietrich Bader? What's going on? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, and indeed it is. he had this weird kind of like Jerry curl thing going on <laughs> in, his, in his hair. Commentary, Trek stars. There was even a little bit of an Voyager. That was Kess. But then they, you know... Decided to not do that and just made her a uh, space carry, which is what her name should have been. <laughs> Neelix and space carry. Warp five. I feel like that's an that's that's an award that didn't exist until DVDs existed. Like no one had the best Betamax release of the year. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it just that's wasn't right. a thing. <laughs> and, and it always goes to the one studio that decided not to turn their back on Betamax. Continuing mission. I think it will be fun for younger people. I think it will be fun for people that can connect with with those characters in this family situation. Literary tricks. The relationship that she's having with Spock at this point is one of a very deep friendship, like a very deep friendship. And she's caring for her friend who's gone through what can only be considered a trauma. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find them everywhere that you get your podcasts. Just search for Trek.film or the name of the show you want to listen to, and we should pop up. And if you're in iTunes or on Stitcher, be sure to review Continuing Mission and our other shows because we have a promotion going on right now where you can win some great Star Trek prizes just for reviewing Trek FM shows. Reviews are very important to us, not only because we love to hear what you think about our shows, but they also impact how we place in iTunes and Stitcher and how easy it is for other fans to find our shows. 
We know that you're probably listening to podcasts when you're out doing something else. You're not near a keyboard. It isn't easy to leave a review. So we want to give you some added incentive. We're giving away some great prizes, including a season of Star Trek on Blu-ray or DVD of your choice, official Starships collection ships from Japan, complete with the Japanese magazine, some Star Trek novels of your choice, and a full collection of our alien art badges. Each review you leave will get you an entry in the drawing. You can review the same show on iTunes and Stitcher, and that will count as two entries. You can also review the master feed. That will count as an entry as well. Winners will be drawn at random from all entries received before midnight Pacific time on July 31st. And it's very easy to enter. You just need to leave the reviews and then go to trek.fm review and complete the form that you find there. That helps us match you up to the reviews, helps us contact you to say thank you and let you know if you won. And that's all there is to it. Again, leave reviews in iTunes or on Stitcher, then visit trek.fm review, complete the form there, and that's it. So we look forward to hearing from you and we thank you for your support of the shows. Speaking of reviews, I would like to share with you a review left for us in iTunes by Chappie5574 titled Insightful and Exciting. Five stars. Chappie said, Continuing mission is at the top of my list for Trek Film shows. It's wonderful to hear of the independent productions in the works. There is a current void for new Star Trek, and fans are feeling it. Thanks for keeping us informed. It's exciting to hear about what is being made. Well, thank you so much for that review there, Chappie. I'm glad that's connecting with you. It's the reason I started this show. I did a few interviews about fan series and independent productions on Matterstream. And then, of course, we've had the Star Trek Continues crew on the Ready Room one time. And I just felt like we need a show just for this so we can do this every single week and we can really touch on the wide range because it really is astonishing the number of productions that are out there. So I'm glad that's connecting with you and really appreciate your review. If you'd like to leave some feedback on today's show, let us know what you think about Star Trek Continues, Dr. McKenna, Michelle, whatever you want to talk about. There are a number of ways that you can do that. You can find the network on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash TrekFM. We have a community on G+. We have forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can even send me a voicemail through the website if you look in the left sidebar on the show page. And of course, we have a contact form, trek.film slash contact. Choose to send to a show and choose continuing mission. That'll come to me by email. If you'd like to find me personally, I'd love to talk to you. You can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. And I have my own website as well, cbrianjones.com. So hit me up in those places and talk to me about Star Trek, whatever you want to talk about. And I look forward to hearing from you. Before I let you go, I would like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. They're the best source of audiobooks that you're going to find anywhere, and I really mean that. I've been an Audible customer for 14 years. I have no plans to stop anytime soon, and I promise you're going to love Audible. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying out the service. If you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm, sign up, choose any book you like. They have a lot of great Star Trek books there. 
Most current new releases come out in audio format at the same time that the hardcover or the paperback drops. They also have other bestsellers, classics, just pretty much anything you can think of. They're going to have it there with great narrators. It's a wonderful way to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. So go try it out, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. When you try Audible, it really does help us keep Continuing Mission coming to you every single week, and you get great books in return. Again, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of Continuing Mission and the network. Well, thanks once again to Michelle for joining me today. I had a blast talking to her. I'm glad that she set some time aside for us. And join me again next time on this continuing mission. And let's see what's out there. <laughs>